welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Beverly Rubick. Dr. Beverly Rubick earned her PhD in biophysics at the University of California in Berkeley. She is internationally renowned for her pioneering research on the biofield and energy medicine. She's a professor at Energy Medicine University in Sausalito, California, and a faculty member in the College of Integrative Medicine and Health Sciences at Saybrook University in Oakland, California. She serves on the editorial boards of four peer-reviewed science and medicine journals and consults on Maverick wellness products and serves individual health clients. She is really known as a multidisciplinary expert in biophysics, physiology, consciousness studies, chemistry, microbiology, health sciences, and specializes in frontier research and pioneering technology development. She offers novel approaches in laboratory and clinical testing and problem solving for individual health clients, inventors, scientists, and businesses. It was really such an honor to talk to Dr. Beverly Rubick. I had heard about her. I do maintain a practice in Marin County, California, um, and she's in the Bay Area. And she um, knew about Dr. Dietrich Klinghart's work and um, referred um, several patients to me because of my connection with Dr. Klinghart. And um, I have heard just wonderful things through these patients. And I was so intrigued by her really knowledge base of energy medicine. And so I had connected her um, with her on a phone call, just thanking her for the referrals. And during that conversation, I, I wish that conversation was recorded as our original podcast as well. Um, I just, you know, completely was intrigued and in awe of what she was studying. And um, being a naturopathic physician, um, we do employ a lot of energy medicine techniques, and we actually use um, at Sophia Health Institute a technique called autonomic response testing, which really works with the concepts of biophysics, the biophoton field, and the biofield of the body. So it's just such a joy um, and passion to learn about how um, we can really me measure our energy body. And so Dr. Rubick shares her, her knowledge and, you know, gives us a lot of really insightful and exciting things to think about. So I hope you enjoy our conversation today. Welcome, Beverly. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Christine. It's my pleasure. You know, we met through um, mutual patients. I, I see patients in uh, Marin. Um, I live in Seattle, but I, I maintain a patient base there. And I've just through a few patients heard wonderful things about your work. And then we had the opportunity to connect. And during that conversation, I just was blown away by all of your knowledge and your research and the work that you're doing that I felt really compelled that I really wanted to have you on my podcast and uh, share that with our audience today. So I, I so appreciate your time. Thank you. That's terrific. So Beverly, um, I would love for our audience to really know, I mean, you have a PhD in biophysics. And so really, where, how did you um, become interested in this whole field of energy medicine? And where did this passion start? Well, actually, I had an experience while I was in graduate school. I was scheduled for surgery uh, for a knee injury. In those days, we're talking 1970s, uh, there weren't no big medical imagers like today. So when someone had a need, there was exploratory surgery. And I had injured my knee in ballet, and I was scheduled. But, I, of course, I didn't want to go. <laughs> I knew that I wouldn't be walking for a while, let alone dancing. And someone almost jokingly said to me, well, why don't you go see this energy healer that's coming to Berkeley, California? And I had never heard of anything like that before. Uh, and it was a woman. Her name was Dr. Olga Worrell. Later, I learned she was a rather famous American healer. Uh, she ran a special prayer group at a Russian Orthodox church in Baltimore, Maryland. But she was coming to town to lecture, and I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I believe in the power of prayer, and I'm going to go see her and see what happens. So I did. And I sat in a chair, and she sat next to me and placed her, her hands on my knees, and engaged in a prayerful, almost trance-like state. She said she was going to send energy, but that she was a conduit for this, that it really came from the divine. And I felt quite a rush of energy in my body. And 
some pleasant sensations in my knees. And when she was done, I stood up and I realized I didn't have any more pain. I could bend my knees. I could. Uh, I was a little afraid to start dancing, but believe me, I, I, uh, I was healed. And I canceled the surgery and realized that there was something much larger and outside the domain of the science that I knew. And as she had some extra time uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, I took her into the laboratory, actually unofficially in those days, and uh, I was working on some cell cultures and had her do the same thing to these cell cultures to treat them with healing energy and prayer. And uh, then I realized she couldn't change normal healthy cultures, but cultures that had been crippled with uh, chemical inhibitors, she could make them grow somewhat over the baseline that were also treated with these chemical inhibitors. And that really impressed me that this was beyond the placebo response. Of course, self-healing and placebo is, is a good thing, and I think we, we need to use it. And, but, but something that goes beyond it is a real phenomenon that should be studied. And yet, there was no literature on energy healing or um, prayer and healing, at least in those days. I'm talking 40 years ago, about 1977. So um, soon I, I was able to get a grant as I was graduating from Berkeley a grant from the Ernest Holmes Foundation for Holistic Health in Anaheim, California, to study this phenomena further. But now I had great difficulty because the university at which I was working uh, did not like this topic. <laughs> and even though I showed them I had preliminary data, they, uh, they prevented me from um, performing the research at the university. And instead, they wanted to keep the grant and diverted to another topic. So that's how it was met in the university back then, 40 years ago. But um, fast forward, it was in the year, uh, around year 2000, when I managed to get a grant from the U.S. National Institutes of Health to actually study uh, a similar phenomena, en energy healers such as Reiki and external chi healers affecting cells in the laboratory, as well as pain patients. So over time, these ideas became a little bit more mainstream, and even the National Institutes of Health was then funding studies in this. But it's been a long road. It was not an easy path. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You've been ahead of your time, and you know what a profound experience to set you on your journey. And so, um, so really, it, it, your career has been really dedicated to the study of more or less uh, energy medicine, would you say? Yes, I'm interested in therapeutic energies, and then I'm also interested in um, energies that are thwarting the human body as well. Some of the technologies that we build are not the healthiest frequencies for us to be exposed to regularly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I really was drawn to this conversation in your work is this whole study um, of what we call the biophoton field. This is something with the work um, that we do at Sophia and with Dr. Klinghart. He really developed a form of applied kinesiology and muscle testing called autonomic response testing based on this understanding of the biophoton field or the biofield of the energy body um, of the human body. And so maybe for if this is, you know, a lot of our listeners, this could be a completely new concept. And so maybe if you want to introduce that so we can really share, you know, how, um, how we interact with our environment based on um, our biofield. Okay. In order to set the context, I just want to say this. Most people think about themselves as being physical beings made of biomolecules, genes, proteins, and all those good biochemicals uh, that we also eat to nourish ourselves. But there's another way of looking at life besides this biochemical, biomolecular view. And that is a, an energy view, a, a view of waves or fields that comprise us. Uh, just as we have in physics, the notion of particle wave duality, for example, in the model of matter or even a particle of light, a photon. Sometimes it acts like a particle, sometimes it acts like a wave. Ditto with living things. We also have wave-like properties. We have a biofield. This is the energy field of life. Every organism has one. And ours is very complex, uh, comprised of acupuncture meridians and points, of radiant energy in the form of 
biophotons, very low-level light that we emit, and of course, a lot of infrared light as well, which they use in medical imaging and thermography. Uh, so we have this energy field that's within and also emitted from us. And I believe that this field is not just junk energy, but is involved in our own bioregulation. It might, in fact, be um, a super regulator of the chemistry and physiology. And maybe the only thing that uh, organizes it is the mind. And actually, um, this idea that the mind is superior to the energy, which is superior to the, the physical structures of the body, comes from traditional Chinese medicine, from 5,000-year-old ideas that where the mind goes, the qi or the subtle energy flows and the blood follows. So that the mind is the supreme conductor of the biofield and of, of life. And then the energy moves in response to intention or volition or where we put thought. And finally, the flesh and blood catches up. And so if we can shift the energy field of the human body, we can heal ourselves if we hold a new pattern that the flesh and blood will follow. And so that's the principle of uh, energy medicine. So making shifts in the energy field and hoping that the organism will hold it or making the shifts over time to coax the organism to a new biofield, then the flesh and blood uh, will follow and healing happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's, um, I think, a couple thought leaders like uh, Tony Robbins and Joe Dispenza and these types of um, inspirational thought, you know, uh, leaders say um, there's one saying where focus goes, energy flows. And there's there's a very, you know, scientific, um, you know, explanation for that. So I think that's a, you know, a, a really important um, insight. And then this whole idea, I mean, I think, you know, conventional medicine and why you've been so ahead of your time, we've been. Um, really focused on um, biochemical, mechanistic, um, you know, um, tinkering with, you know, different pathways or drug, you know, pathways to, quote, heal the body. And, um, you know, we're, we're kind of missing this whole other uh, perspective and how, um, how the human body basically is set up for healing. And so um, just again, for you know, listeners, what um, what tools in your um, understanding really work on this biofield and can help um, shift the the energy of, of the human body? What what modalities um, can people think about when they when they want to access this? There are so many modalities. Well, one of them is acupuncture, mm -hmm. but that's of course involving needles. But there's also the application of light to the body. Mm -hmm. I call it phototherapy. Uh, sometimes light just to the acupuncture points, but also in general, um, light applied to the human body can, can do wonders. I've seen it treat, for example, diabetic neuropathy, where someone was scheduled for an amputation of a leg or a foot, and lo and behold, circulation is, is brought back, and the gangrene can go away, and they have a, a second chance with that limb. That's how powerful energy medicine can be. Hmm. Um, uh, we have the laying out of hands from people who are biofield practitioners, Reiki, therapeutic touch, healing touch, external chi, so many therapies where energy healers are working either in the biofield of a patient or hands-on the patient to send energy. And often that energy is not just from their own bodies, but considered a universal or cosmic bioenergy that they're drawing forth and acting as conduits for that energy, bringing it to the person. Some people believe it's coming from the divine source. So there's a lot of different views on this, and there are just so many modalities. I would say homeopathy is another energetic type medicine because when you have a substance that produces an effect, but then you dilute it and dilute it and dilute it, and along with that pound the solution, succuss it, and you end up with no molecules of the original substance, you have energy medicine. You have energy with information. Um, so it's not just about hammering the body with energy. Mm -hmm. We're talking about sometimes extremely subtle nudges where the energy is just a carrier for information, which then can make the change in the biofield and, and um, jumpstart health and healing. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, I know that you also have studied, um, you know, patience and, you know, we, um, you know, with the work that I do, I've seen this in, you know, there's more and more people, unfortunately, are suffering from what we would call a chronic illness, whether that be um, a chronic fatigue or a fibromyalgia or a Lyme disease or, you know, you name it. And there's an increasing, um, you know, rates of, you know, neurological illness. And I, I think we could probably agree um, that, you know, our our um, society, we're getting sicker um, earlier and earlier in life. And so what, from your perspective, you know, I know there's many influences that are affecting us, but with this concept of our um, biofield and our energy body, what what do you think our greatest uh, our threats to health are uh, right now? Well, we have numerous onslaughts to our health, and I think all of it's increasing our stress levels. Uh, that's one thing. We have uh, think how many uh, disasters we've had in the United States just in the last couple of months. Unbelievable. Uh, with bad hurricanes, with now major fires devastating northern and southern California. Uh, we had uh, a massacre in Las Vegas. I mean, people turn on the news and they listen to this stuff, even if they're not directly involved. And I think everybody's stu- uh, suffering from a level of traumatic stress disorder from just what's happening in the world today, even if they're not directly hurt, they may know someone who is. And so we have enormous amounts of stress that I don't think we had in past decades. I'm old enough to have lived through very quiet decades when, <laughs> when people in society were not stressed and when we had a more coherent society that cared for one another. So we have a, a kind of broken society. People are struggling. People are, you know, the families are fragmented. And so people are on their own largely and and struggling along with financial, psychological stresses. Uh, We have, um, I would say, food that isn't so healthy anymore with genetically modified organisms um, that are doubtful. You know, what what is that doing to our microbiome, (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially with pesticides and herbicides uh, sprayed on them? And we have air that's no longer so healthy to breathe. Uh, They're doing geoengineering of weather, spraying the skies with, I understand, fly ash and aluminum particles, and we're breathing all of this. So that's another major physical stressor. So we have physical and psychological, financial stressors. We have all of these things that I think about humanity today sort of like a bunch of frogs in a pot of hot water. And if you put frogs in and just turned up the heat slowly, they wouldn't jump out. Uh, they'd get cooked. That's where we're headed. But if you put healthy frogs in a hot pan of water, they would jump out because they have the resilience. They understand this isn't right. So we have humanity exposed to a constant barrage of increasing stressors. The heat is on and we're slowly being cooked, just mm-hmm. like those frogs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if many people realize how really unbelievable uh, life is getting. They're not getting enough sleep. I think they're tinkering with electronics too much and getting electromagnetic pollution is another hazard in our lives. So there's just so many things. People have to get a grip on it and they have to get back to nature, in my view, eat very nourishing foods um, uh, and um, try to breathe healthy air, get out in the country, get sunlight and get away from their problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are all, you know, absolutely, I, I'm seeing the same things. And it's, you know, this combination, right, and uh, bioaccumulation of stress and not having this uh, recovery or rebalancing or enough time in this, you know, healing or parasympathetic state. So I think these are all things to be very mindful of. And you've actually studied, right, um, the effects of, you know, one of the, the things that Dr. Klinghart has been um, trying to increase awareness on is this um increase in electromagnetic frequencies, radiation that's really, um, you know, increasing uh, tremendously each year. And so what have you found in your work um, and how does this really affect the human body? Well, I've been especially interested in cell phone radiation because it's been about 10 years now since 2007 uh, when the smartphones came out. Um, And so it's just been 10 years, but uh, we have increasing emission from those smartphones as they've raised uh, and improved them with uh, subsequent generations. 
uh, if you look at the older ones, they weren't admitting nearly as much as today. And we're about to enter the realm of 5G, which is even worse in terms of a greater bandwidth and stronger strength so that they can bring us greater bandwidth of videos, etc. But we went from a world of having no smartphones to a world of uh, 7 billion cell phones, most of which are smartphones. And that's most of the people on Earth, including children. And I'm very concerned about this because these microwaves, and we've known for a long time that there's something called radio sickness. Ever since radio waves were discovered and then used in radar in the military and uh, people around uh, emitters, uh, trans, uh, the antennas, etc., cetera, uh, they didn't feel good. They got sick. And we've known it for a long time, but now we've got an entire population with actively emitting phones also living and working near actively emitting cell phone towers. And you can't see or smell this, and you may not feel anything from it, but it can take a toll on you. And what I found in my studies, I looked at people who um, simply wore a cell phone, a smartphone, put into a backpack, and they wore it for 45 minutes in my laboratory while they read a book. And so what we found was um, the blood became very sticky. I was looking at the blood under dark, dark field microscopy. So then all the red cells were stuck together in what we call rouleau. Rouleau is the French word for rolls. It's sort of like a roll of coins, a roll of nickels. And the blood is not circulating very well when you have uh, this kind of stickiness to the red blood cells. In fact, the red blood cells need to march in single file through the tiniest microcapillaries. So circulation, peripheral circulation all over the body then would be compromised. I found this especially true in people 50 and up. Uh, the younger people didn't seem to have it as much. And then I had the people use the cell phone, the same people in the study, and we took it out of the backpack and they held onto the phone and used it uh, as they would uh, going online and making a couple of five-minute phone calls, holding it near the head, not even touching the ear, and measured them another 45 minutes later. And I found further changes in the blood that were really unhealthy. So now the blood cells broke apart from these rouleaux, but they balled up. Cells should be uh, hollow bon biconcave discs, but now they became spherical and had spikes all over them. And this type of blood cell is called an echinocyte. It looks like a sea urchin, and hence the name. Uh, echinoderm, echinocyte. Uh, so a spiky red blood cell, again, is not going to travel very well in the, in the microcapillaries of the body. Again, compromising circulation. Uh, so uh, I presented this study at a conference where it reached the industry, the cell phone industry, and I thought for certain they, they'll have something to say about it. Hmm. And then I discovered they really weren't interested in it, much to my amazement. They said if you found a new disease we would take a look, we would be concerned. But you simply show changes in the blood. But I said, but this is uh, precursory to some of the syndromes we see. We see electrohypersensitivity on the rise. The World Health Organization has announced it as a health problem. And even cell phone radiation as a low-level carcinogen. World Health Organization has announced that too. But nonetheless, we're on this this endless uh, parade of um, different versions of this and increasing um, generations of um, cell phones because everyone loves their cell phone. They love what it can do for them. I don't imagine they're going to tuck it away because of my findings, but we have to use these things prudently and we have to limit our exposure. We have to be aware that it's an active emitter. It's not something to be given to children who have very thin skulls and lots of children are holding these cell phones to their head, and I'm very concerned about that because their brains are still developing, and they have uh, a, ver a skull that's half a millimeter thick where the cell phone radiation can penetrate greatly and cause dire consequences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, you know, I think reducing exposure through education is a, an important first step. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, from probably both of our perspectives, you know, this technology is going to get, you know, worse, you know, probably before it gets better because of 5G and, you know, just the um, increase in use. Um, and so how have you found, I mean, how can we protect ourselves um, from um, this radiation? I know there's a lot of different, um, you know, 
tools and, you know, pendants and, you know, energy medicine uh, devices to help, um, you know, protect ourselves from, um, you know, cell phone radiation. What is your opinion of these? Do you feel like these are valid things to try to mitigate the stress or really, you know, um, limiting your exposure and not living near a cell phone tower is really all we can do right now? That's an important thing. I I think, first of all, we need to consider limiting exposure. If you actually read the manual that uh, is tucked away on your cell phone, uh, hard to find. <laughs> they don't give you a paper manual anymore. But it says, don't touch this cell phone. Interestingly, well, most people are holding on to it and even putting it to their head and having a conversation. But you're supposed to leave some distance between you and the cell phone. So it's a lot better to set it on a desk and work with it, you know, pushing buttons perhaps at your fingers, but at least you're not holding it in your hand or holding it to the head. Of course, you've got um, the um, the earphone piece that came with it. You should use that whenever possible. Uh, I took a look at some of these little devices that um, that are being marketed that are claimed to help protect us against cell phone radiation. I, I have to tell you that most of them didn't do anything in my study to the blood of these same people that came back for retesting where we put stickers and uh, various chips on the backside of the cell phone, unknown to them. Um, most of them didn't do anything. There were a couple that, that seemed to help. Uh, one of them is called Life Shields, and it's uh, from Switzerland. It's not being heavily marketed in the United States. So one of my concerns is that people are sticking these little devices on the rear of their cell phone and thinking that they have total protection, and then they continue to use their cell phone as if it's not an active emitter. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you've looked at this because I, um, you know, I'm all for, you know, tools to help mitigate and reduce the stress. But um, I, I think there there's a lot more uh, research and science to really um, explore this. To and, and so exactly what you said, so people don't um, have this um, safe, you know, they, this false assumption that they're safe, you know, with, uh, with their cell phones. So I think that's really, really important. And so, no, I mean, I think that's really uh, brave of you too, Beverly, to go in front of the cell phone um, industry. And it, it does seem that there is this um, lack of um, acknowledgement or really concern. Um, so again, I, I think um, we're kind of in this time, you know, that this is going to uh, be a, a stress on the body for a while. Do you, I mean, in your studies and in your um, your research, do you feel like there's alternative technologies to to explore in order um, to have the same benefits that we have with getting all this quick access to information? Or, um, you know, do you feel like there's a, another way? Well, one of the things I learned going abroad is that the cell phones in Russia and Eastern Europe have 1,000 times less radiation coming out of them than the American cell phones. So why is this? Um, it's puzzling to me that uh, the Russians know and have, they've explored health hazards of these things perhaps longer than we have in the West. So they made cell phones with 1,000th uh, as much microwave radiation coming out. And my cell phone worked fine over there. So it's not a matter of the device. They could uh, turn down the amount of energy coming out of these phones. And I think we would still uh, have cell phones that work. And I think that would be an improvement but I don't see the industry doing that anytime soon <laughs> because I guess the way the cell phone antennas are set up. Um, I think, um, you know, we, we um, the problem with digital microwaves is that they blast you with big pulses of energy. And digital technology is very different from analog. You know, an analog radio, you wouldn't even worry about it because it's just receiving waves from somewhere else. So uh, a, a conventional analog radio is not a danger. Uh, but digital technologies that emit these large pulses are something that human bodies simply cannot adapt to. There's nothing in nature like this. Nothing in nature is pulsating uh, with a sharp pulse and then stopping. You know, all of the fields of nature, the Earth's geomagnetic field and solar radiation, natural fields are slow to change. They're analog, they're real uh, out there, and life evolved with them. So we've got a lot of challenges um, to think about how we could create a safer digital uh, way of communicating. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know um, there's a lot of um, people trying to increase awareness right now. And I, I think with anything, um, you know, change can be slow, but there it doesn't mean it's an impossible. But I think for for our audience, I think it's really important um, that these um, you know, this is a very real exposure. It has a very real tangible effect on the human body and to um, maintain and keep a healthy life. We should absolutely, um, you know, reduce our exposure. We, we say in the office sometimes that, um, you know, the, the cell phone radiation is going to be looked at like smoking, secondhand smoking, maybe, you know, down the road, you know, and, and unfortunately, probably years ahead, you know, we'll look back at this time and, you know, be really um, surprised we let this, you know, this happen. And there's lots of, you know, uh, shielding, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in shielding, but I do work with some EMF um, consultants and experts that, you know, can go into the home and measure the, you know, the um, EMF exposure in the home. And then there's different types of shielding paints and curtains and all sorts of things that are not perfect, but are definitely better than uh, nothing uh, for people. And then you brought up also a great point, Beverly, with um, just really, you know, nature, um, being in nature, there's so many, um, so much healing that just uh, nature can offer and making sure to make that time um, in our lives to, you know, really heal and unwind. And, um, you know, that can be another, um, I, I believe, a, a way to reduce the impact of all of this on our bodies. I agree with you, Christine. It's all very wise. But now we have to consider that not only cell phones are in our lives, but what's coming is something called the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. And that means that the washing machines, your toaster, oven, etc., are going to be also blasting your house with these digital waves that are big, sharp pulses, not friendly for us as living beings. And then we have electric cars and the batteries in those cars. And uh, I've looked at, um, I won't mention any names, but I've looked at some brands and uh, it's not a healthy place to be either as driver or passenger in those cars. Once again, uh, people sitting in those cars are blasted, even if it's a hybrid car because of the batteries and the way it's, um, they're being positioned nearby people. So we have so many sources of this and, and with um, this Internet of Things that is coming down the line, uh, I'm not sure who wants uh, washing machines that talk to toasters and turn themselves on and off. You know, it seems to me uh, uh, a crazy future that anybody would want such automatic uh, things going on and off in their homes. But, but that's what they're building. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've, I've heard this and I've, I've seen that also. Um, I was educated about this, um, around, uh, LED light bulbs and, um, you know, essentially, um, you know, that is, you know, hooking up also with the internet of things and, you know, how that also piggybacks on, you know, another exposure, um, you know, through, through our lighting system in the home. And that's a whole other, you know, topic that I'm, I'm sure we, we could dive into because light can obviously have a huge healing ability in our body, but it also can, um, when we're exposed to the wrong forms of light or the wrong um, colors of light, wavelengths of light, that it can, um, you know, affect our circadian rhythm and, you know, our sleep cycles and all of these things. Yes, indeed. And I, I'm thinking of computer screens. So many people are glued to uh, their computers late at night and then they go to sleep and wonder why they don't get good quality sleep or maybe even can't fall asleep because the screens that they were viewing have a lot of blue light that actually stimulates the brain to stay awake. Mm -hmm. And so there's software one can buy and it's free software. You can see your screen getting yellower and even oranger and more like uh, incandescent light, more like um, a natural candle light, in fact, that you might have on before you go to sleep. I found that that really impacted... Um, my sleep to look at a, a regular computer screen shortly before I go to sleep and having this software now that uh, makes it oranger and redder uh, and also reminds me as I have trouble reading that these red these screens getting red it's time to quit mm -hmm. time to quit and <laughs> go rest in bed and <laughs> and uh, 
count sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm using the same uh, thing. I believe it's. Uh, I'm using uh, something a screensaver called Flux, and it has absolutely yeah. improved my, um, you know, nighttime um, kind of winding down. It. I. I am um, when that has been turned off for whatever reason. It's. I. You. You understand that the the, the blue light is absolutely stimulating uh, in the evening. So I, I think we all need to be mindful of that, especially in enhancing our melatonin production and being able to fall asleep as nature intended. And um, Beverly, you're doing a lot of really great work um, with, um, you shared with me, you've developed some more assessment tools and uh, detectors of how to really measure, you know, the biofield and also um, really, um, you know, the impact that uh, energy medicine can have on the human body. And so I would love for you to, you know, walk us through um, what you've created. Sure. Actually, my husband, Harry Jabs, has done most of this uh, device creation, and then we work with it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a talented physicist and engineer. One of the de- We have a, a couple of sets of uh, systems that we use um, to assess uh, the biofield. Um, one of them is uh, a dark chamber where people, we put a, a, a client or a subject, human subject, and we measure the, the low-level light, the visible light coming out of the body. For example, from the palm of the hand, from the fingertips, and from what we call the dantians or the chakras. For example, the forehead, the region of the heart, and then the the center of the abdomen. And we can see that when people are sick, uh, the light emission is often not as good or not as even, uh, especially from the two hands right and left. There's irregularities in the biofield. And we worked with um, one energy medicine practitioner here in the San Francisco Bay who then treated people. We looked, we counted photons from their bodies both before and after her treatment, and lo and behold, then we saw a greater balance, left, right, up, down, in the energy field emitted. So that was one thing. I also worked with some people who engage in um, heightened psychoenergetic states, for example, uh, an energy healer that moves energy through the heart when he heals and we measured his heart region as well as his hands and the forehead, etc. And indeed, when he engaged in this psychoenergetic state of sending love and energy, we found almost 400% more light, more visible light coming from his heart region. That was really remarkable. That That's a very huge increase. So those are the sorts of things we've been exploring in experiments and showing that the light coming out of the human body is not... Uh, it's uh, not to be disregarded. It's not just the byproduct of, say, free radical reactions of uh, chemical luminescence. That's what the mainstream thinks about this light. They don't think it has any, um, any that it goes beyond anything more than that. But of course, if someone shifts their physiology and then emits more light, and especially if that light is more balanced um, in left, right, up, down, etc., that's a sign that the energy field has been improved. And in the case of an energy healer who's emitting from the heart, the measurement of 400% more light coming from the heart, I would say, is highly significant and not junk light. So we're seeing that the biofield is probably a means of biocommunication as well as bioregulation in the body with that device. And that's our biophoton uh, dark closet um, our counter of uh, the visible light coming out of the human body, which we can't really see with our eyes because it's so low level and we're not not really dark adapted enough to look at that. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we can measure it, and it, it's a very solid measurement. Science would accept it, except that unfortunately they brushed aside uh, the idea that this light has any meaning in biology other than waste. But nothing in nature, nothing in nature is wasteful. Everything really has a function. It's kind of a anthropomorphic view to say that something coming out of the body is waste, an energy signal. I mean, we look at brain waves and heart waves. They give us tremendous medical information. So what about this visible light? We imagine that this could be developed into diagnostics in the future, looking at uh, this light. Right now, it's uh, an experimental procedure at our lab, and I don't know of another lab that's really measuring Uh, various regions of the body. Many people just measure the hand, and that just is very limited in the information. But um, 
the energy coming out of the heart, the forehead in particular, as well as the hand, I think are very important measurements that tell us about health and healing and how, how it shifts after an energy therapy is very interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating, um, especially, um, you know, I, I think anyone who has a profound experience uh, like you did early in your life with your, your knees, there's absolutely a, 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 a tangible um, a feeling when you have uh, profound energy work done. And so it's really um, interesting to see that this translates into increased light emitted from the body and all these metaphors, right, in life and, you know, in mm. ancient, you know, healing and, you know, all of these things around, you know, light being a healing tool, whether and also with the visualizations of auras and chakras and, you know, these things, it's, it, it's really um, uh, amazing to see that all tie in full circle you know yes and we have another uh, prototype uh, a bunch of detectors that we put together we call it the sensor suite it's a suite of sensors so in this thing and it's huge it's about oh three by four meters <laughs> because it's a, a prototype and there's a lot of power supplies and equipment but we're measuring various environmental parameters for example we're measuring the, the background radioactive decay, alpha, beta, gamma. We got interested in that because of Fukushima and the radiation that uh, uh, followed the Earth's rotation and uh, sort of the plume arrived in California. And presto, our furnace, air furnace filter showed 700% more background radiation in one day oh, wow. uh, when the official word was they can't find anything. This was strange because we were using... Uh, Geiger counters when they had access to much more serious equipment. Mm -hmm. In any case, because of the situation with Fukushima, we have to be concerned about radio radiation coming both from the air because it exploded as well as now through the ocean mm -hmm. uh, because it continues to dump radioactive waste. It's sad. Mm -hmm. But we have detectors to monitor at least the air. Then we have temperature, humidity, Earth's magnetic field. All of these are uh, conventional things from the environment, environmental detectors. Then we've added some peripheral physiological detectors, which means we have little finger clips on a subject that might be at this sensor suite that we're testing. We're measuring uh, the galvanic skin response, which uh, measures the amount of sweat, very low-level sweat coming from fingers uh, that's associated with emotions and also stress, high sympathetic activity. And then we're measuring perfusion index, uh, which is related to the percent of oxygen uh, that in the hemoglobin of the blood. Um, and we're measuring heart rate variability of uh, subjects. So we can follow their physiology, and we can ask a subject to, as we're looking at energy healers in particular, uh, would you please send energy now, as if you're healing uh, a sick animal or a person? And we have another category of detectors that we call our subtle energy detectors that we've developed prototypes of that seem to register the energy when the healers, especially um, really well-seasoned uh, uh, healers who are doing this a long time, uh, advanced healers, uh, perform energy healing at the sensor suite. So we believe that we have developed some detectors for uh, the bioenergy in the biofield. Uh, that are that is associated with life. It might be the proverbial chi or prana or life force that we are in fact measuring. And it seems to also uh, sh these detectors register also when people who are not energy healers, people like me, engage in a very positive emotional state of feeling love and joy and also focus at the same time. And I think that's a time when we also are admitting. Uh, chi and uh, people feel good around us when when people are in that kind of state they like to be around us and and uh, it's a contagious state uh, people may entrain in fact to these states of higher vibration so we believe we have a, a prototype of a detector that could be quite revolutionary for exploring extraordinary states and the full potential of people to heal uh, so we are looking for, presently looking for, philanthropists and or investors to bring this to the next level because we envision a very small device um, 
probably running with a cell phone as much as I can, I'm concerned about them. We probably would make this a cell phone um, a device, uh, maybe a dongle with Bluetooth uh, with, with hardware software uh, attached to a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So that's um, something that we hope to uh, release, but we're in the process of um, bringing this forth and we're looking for investors in philanthropy to bring it to the next level. Well, that's it's a, it's an amazing assessment tool, and I just um, have so many ideas of how I could integrate that in you know practice and you know in in um, in healing, and I feel like that's the future of having all clinics you know having this, and so I I, I know that um, this you know I know that you will get the support you need to bring this you know to more people, and I I'm happy to continue to share the work that you're doing, Beverly, and I I guess you know kind of as we wrap up and tying this all in. Where where would you like to see you know the paradigm shift and how do you uh, see the principles that we've talked about and and kind of the highest vision being brought you know to more people? Well, of course we need integrative medicine and I know that's what you're doing in both clinics and uh, uh, kudos to you because that's what's really needed. We have a very fragmented medical system for the most part. We don't have a lot of integrative medical clinics. We've got a lot of conventional doctors who are working in the system, the HMO system or the, um, you know, the Obamacare system, which by according to state laws, you know, they can only do certain things and according to their licensure, et cetera. So there are a lot of issues with the way um, the legislation has been passed that are actually prohibiting doctors in some cases from from being totally integrative. Uh, it's far and few between that, that do, and then it's a, a challenge, I know, to make it uh, financially viable because often these other alternative complementary and integrative therapies are not being reimbursed by Medicare and um, the HMOs, especially under Obamacare in the United States. So unfortunately, I think it set us back to have this national healthcare system that did not embrace integrative care. And in fact, I worked very hard back in the days when Bill Clinton was president. I worked on the uh, White House Healthcare Task Force under Hillary, and we tried to get to bring this to fruition to them back then. But of course, it just didn't manifest until Obama, unfortunately. And then we had hoped that functional medicine might be um, uh, involved, uh, as that wording is present in the Obamacare Act, or the Affordable Care Act, but unfortunately, we don't practice see functional medicine and all of its glory being uh, reimbursed and um, embraced by uh, the powers that be in the way the national healthcare medicine is being uh, administered. So, I hope that we uh, abolish this act and start over mm-hmm. and really uh, go for an integrative medicine policy because it will be much less expensive. People will feel better. They will learn multiple modalities. They're going to learn enhanced self-care. And uh, they're going to learn there's a, there's a lot of things that can be done to them and with their participation that are softer, gentler ways of building real health and restoring their health. And that's what most people don't understand. So they go for the big guns of conventional medicine, the pharmaceutical drugs, the surgeries, um, and radiation therapies, and, and there's so much more. That's what I want to see added to our medical system. I know that's very much what you're all about, and uh, Dietrich Klinghart's clinics. I applaud you, and I wish that you could be cloned <laughs> and placed all over, because that's what we need. <laughs> so, I, I'm so sorry it's going so slowly. I've watched this for 35 years yeah. and think, why is medicine limping along? toward integration? Mm -hmm. Why is the system so fragmented? And patients out there end up going to a slew of different practitioners often struggling with their chronic illnesses and and not getting an integrative approach because these people don't talk to one another and they're not in the same roof Mm -hmm. for the most part. And this is a great tragedy and it makes our healthcare system much more expensive and uh, poor in terms of dealing with chronic illness. Hmm. Well, no, I, I completely um, echo all, everything you've shared, and I um, no, I, I I hold that vision and that intent with you as well. And you know, a lot of 
my passion and mission is to, you know, bring this, you know, in the, the small way that I can, uh, this information to more people. And, you know, I, I, I see this and we're all kind of on the front lines, all of us seeing patients. And, you know, I, I share with them, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a paradigm change, right? And, you know, it is a slower paradigm change than we all want, but it, it's hard because the system doesn't support, support the physicians and the system doesn't support, you know, our patients. And so there's complete breakdown, um, all around. You know, and I think there's just so much, um, you know, uh, potential in in just making um, medicine more accessible and better. And the the work that you're doing is, you know, is fascinating to me. And that's really where um, I I truly believe where the answers lie in a lot of um, a lot of these illnesses that we're seeing. So I I just so support your work and want to continue to share that with the people that I know in our community. And um, I just, yeah, no, I'm so grateful for what you're doing, Beverly. And and I would love for people to know um, where can they find out more about you and if you can share just your website and, you know, people want to learn more about your research and, um, you know, the projects that you're working on, where can they, where can they find you? Thank you. Yes. Um, I have a few websites. One is brubic.com. That's B-R-U-B-I-K.com. Another one is frontiersciences.org. That's our nonprofit laboratory, Institute for Frontier Science website, frontiersciences.org. And I'm also president of the U.S. Psychotronics Association, and that website is psychotronics.org. And uh, we explore healing devices, um, um, subtle energy research um, at Psychotronics. It's a very interesting group uh, performing things like radionics. Not a very conventional thing, but can be very powerful, let me say that, when it comes to protecting agriculture from pests or enhancing crop yields or uh, helping jumpstart healing. So... Mm-hmm. It's a whole other realm. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a fun, fun group to be a part of. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, great. Well, Beverly, I, um, I so appreciate your time and the information you shared. And I know there's so much more that we could talk about, but I think this gives our audience a lot of, um, great ideas to percolate with and really to explore, you know, how can they enhance their own health with, uh, energy medicine. Yes, and thank you so much, Christine. It was a wonderful interview, and I do hope that the audience feels more empowered to step out and and go for energy medicine when in doubt, because it's a softer, gentler approach, generally without side effects, and what have you got to lose mm-hmm. if you're taking five to ten drugs and life is not working for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole realm out there. There's probably more modalities of energy medicine than any other complementary or alternative medicine. It's a huge, vast realm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Beverly. I think that's a wonderful uh, note to end on. And again, I appreciate your time and I, I hope to be in touch. Thank you, Christine. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I really hope you enjoyed uh, Beverly and my conversation today. Again, you can find more information about Beverly on two websites. One is frontiersciences.org and the other is brubic.com. And again, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share this with your friends, your family, your community. And if you feel called to leave us a review, we'd be grateful. Thank you.